You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I am Subi. Alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, it's Bryce Brown, former guard from Auburn. Yes, that should be a hint for what we are talking about later on in this episode and who we brought on a great guest, a fun guest, a knowledgeable guest, but most importantly, he's the best friend of this damn program. Uh, excited to welcome him back on stay tuned for that. But if you're an Auburn fan, if you're an sec fan, it was a blast of a conversation. Check out the website at theater and make sure to follow me at CVB theater to find out where the feet is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dam. Let's open the curtains. Onto the podcast, crazy week in hoops, but I see that Packers hat, baby. Congratulations, you're moving on to round two. I've been saying with my chest the last few years that the NFL playoffs, wild card weekend especially, is complete butt cheeks. And as a fan, I'm sure you loved it, but I'm over here looking at the Cowboys' demise like this isn't even fun. The pack, as a neutral observer, the Packers just dismantled them, and down goes Dallas again. Congratulations, you're heading to Santa Clara. You know, it's been interesting, the three games, um, four games now, uh, I guess, that we've watched. Um, three of them were blowouts, but I didn't really feel like they were um, boring blowouts. Like the Texans-Browns first half was a lot of fun. That's true. And then, um, well, Miami didn't get off the airplane. That's, I, don't, you know, I don't blame them. I wouldn't. That's kind of embarrassing. You know, like, you're. I know it's cold. And we're two cold weather people, and I get that. And I think the weather, and this is coming from a Packer fan, right? I think the weather thing in the NFL is, in, and maybe more in the NFL than it is in college football, is a little overrated. None of those guys are from Miami or Kansas City. Nobody's from Green Bay, like you, you know. So it's like not any these people didn't grow up where these these games are happening. So I mean, I know you get a little more acclimated to it, obviously coming from South Beach, going up to Kansas City. But like, come on, at least get off the plane. You know, like, I, I don't know. That's a little, it's a little weak, if you ask me, um, as I sit here in Scottsdale uh, at 70, <laughs> 70 degrees. Uh, but boy, that Packer game was, it was kind of interesting. It was the least, I, I, I use the word stress. I'm not sure stress is the right word, but you know how we get as sports fans. So we'll call it stress. It was the least stress I think I've ever been for a Packer game in my 34 years of life because, 
in my estimation, as we talked about uh, either last episode or two episodes ago, like our season as a Packer fan is, is a pretty big success at this point now, or before this game was a pretty big success. We certainly determined that Jordan love, you know, is the guy, whatever. So I was just happy to say, Hey, you know, it's the first playoff game. Let's just see how it goes. You know, if we keep it close, then that's fine. I don't want to have a loser mentality, but I certainly didn't think that like, you know, if we lost, it wasn't going to be the end of all the world. Now it's like, yo, Jordan Love is that guy. Like, he's that guy. Um, and, you know, NFL record in number of touchdowns and everything thrown to first and second year guys. Everybody on the team is 23. And then you go on the road and play a very seasoned team and just absolutely smoke them. I didn't get nervous until halftime because now you're like, shit. Now if we blow this, like this is embarrassing. I don't care how good or bad or what your records are. You blow like a 32-point lead. Like that's embarrassing. And then all of a sudden it becomes a 16-point game. And not that I was really nervous, but it was kind of like, can we not do this? But um, it it was, I can't remember a game like it. And and I know CJ Stroud literally had almost the exact stat line that Jordan Love did. And I know he's younger and a rookie. So there's certainty, certainly uh, uh, some comparables uh, between those two. And I don't want to say that CJ Stroud's performance was less impressive than Jordan Love's, but it is the Packers and the Cowboys. And that's a much bigger game just from a national landscape than the Texans and the Browns. And whether fans want to admit that or not, like, you're talking about arguably the two biggest brands in the sport, in the Packers and the Cowboys. So there's a little bit more of a cachet that goes with that. The coverage of it is a little bigger. I'm not saying the game itself, the action on the field is any different, but there's a li- there's just going to be more coverage on Packers, Cowboys, than there's going to be on Texans, uh, Browns. So, yeah. um, so for that, like to do that literally in the uh, – crucible let's call it of the sport at&t stadium on the star jerry jones the cowboys and to just demolish them as your first uh, a, a perfect pass rating up until literally like two minutes left in the game with a drop so um couldn't be happier and now it's i don't know i mean well it's kind of it's kind of like you own the cowboys and now the niners own you so it's like how well, is this food chain gonna work so, so packers history tells us that brett Favre owned the Niners and and got smoked by the by the Cowboys all, all okay. of his career. Aaron Rodgers demolished the Cowboys his entire career. 9 and 1 against them, right? And just got abused by the Niners, right? So, um maybe Jordan Love doesn't get abused well, by either. Either. <laughs> yeah, right. so I don't I don't know. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of Niners buddies and we're joking how watch this be the year because the Packers were the number one or two seed every year for the last, you know, however many years. And then we would play the Niners and gets demolished. So watch it be role reversal in a little bit here where it's like, oh, th- this is the team, the worst team on paper. I'm doing air quotes, worst team on paper the Packers have had in the last decade. And they're the one that goes into San Francisco and wins. I don't know. The only thing I'll say before I get too long winded, because I don't want to be too long winded in this again, is that there is precedence that, I know it's usually not a seven seed. It's generally in history being the sixth seed or fifth seed that does this, uh, but because the seventh seed is new, obviously. But Niners didn't have a ton to play for the last week of the year, just given how everything worked out. The Packers have now played essentially the two best games they've played in the last two years. Now in a row, and you just hung forty-eight a Packers playoff record on supposedly the second best team in the NFC 
and then you go to play a team that hasn't played in two weeks. The Packers have lost that game as, as the, the one seed favorite. in that scenario, yeah. right? So again, Niners should win this game. It shouldn't be necessarily particularly close, but we have seen in history that this is this has happened before. And so that's just what I'm going to kind of like drink in this week is hope for that. I'm not going to sit here and predict a Packers win, anything like that. But I will say this. If Packers win this game, yeah, you only. Yeah, have I, to I, I mean, then they're better. They've already beat the Lions Detroit, in, in yeah. Detroit. They already smoked the Lions in Detroit. Um, that would be. I know that you care deeply about two friends of yours, myself included. That is a Packer fan, and then our other buddy, uh, of course, friend of the program, Theodore Scroback, who is in the building at Ford Field this week. Um, that would be un. It that would be an unbelievable game. Packers. Yeah, I'd I'd Lions. remove. I'd remove myself uh, from the chat. I'm sorry, Taylor. I would. Ha- I'd have to remove myself. I, from the I chat. wouldn't even have. I don't even think it'd be there'd be vitriol there. I think it's just it would be fun more than anything else. So um, maybe. Yeah, yeah I mean, because uh, it's, it's it's either because at this point it's either like okay, we go to the first of 15 years with Jordan Love and go to the Super Bowl, or the Lions <laughs> make their first Super Bowl ever. Like that's fu- like there's no there's no loser. Of course, there'd be a loser, but like it wouldn't be the same, right? Would I be disappointed? Of course. Um, but uh, I think it'd be more fun just because now, if it was the last year of Aaron Rodgers in that same scenario, I would be deathly afraid of this game and would right. be just the saddest guy of all time. If that well, happens. His last now, game is in a Packers uniform was against sure, the Lions, right? Sure, so sure, right. I'm, I'm just saying no playoff game. Essentially. Right. I'm just saying the ramp up with Jordan love is yeah, way yeah. less stressful than the, than the plateau when, when you know, the cliff is literally, counting down every single game yeah so. no i i hear you um it was a good good few days for the state of wisconsin actually obviously the packers won marquette gets right they they mm-hmm. uh win on mlk day tyler Kolick looked good wisconsin shooting up the rankings i think they're at 12 uh but i'll tell you who was a great week for taylor that's the state of michigan all right so last monday <laughs> they win a national title and then what happens uh they beat their rival ohio state in uh in basketball terrible loss for the buckeyes uh and then of course the lions which you had mentioned they win their first playoff game since 92 93 whatever it is at home and they get to host so that's the state of michigan flip it to the state of ohio presumably browns fans all right ohio state they have to watch their rival win the national title puke for them they have to watch their former quarterback at Ohio State, C.J. Stroud absolutely carve up their favorite pro team in the Browns, and then they lose to Michigan. So Michigan is on an absolute heater right now. Not to mention the Pistons beat the Haw- or uh, the Pistons beat the Wizards. The Pistons got a game. This is this is probably the greatest week in Michigan history. Hey, you didn't bring up for Wisconsin too. Dame time officially started in Wisconsin too. That's so, true. The game yeah. winner. That's a great point. I so, hate the Bucks though. So. Before we move on to actual basketball stuff, tell me a state that did not have a good weekend this weekend. Well, I just said Ohio. What else? What other state? Arizona? The state that I currently sit in had an awful weekend. Literally a terrible weekend for Arizona, uh, both basketball. And I will say um, the Jed Fish leaving Arizona news dropping literally three minutes before kickoff of the Packers game was a very weird emotional state for my football fanhood. Cause you saw one team that was literally heading. Sorry. I said literally like 10 times so far. I apologize. Um, 
that was on the cusp of the best year in program history. I'm not saying it would have happened, but it certainly was right there for the taking to then all of a sudden go down to like nothing. <laughs> and then for the Packers to then all of a sudden ramp up and have like one of the most surprisingly best games they've ever played, like in franchise history is was a, it was a weird emotional several hours uh, or some weird emotions as a football fan, both collegiately and professionally, like all kind of happening at the same time. As adults, we're expected to prioritize and and understand yeah. <laughs> what takes priority. You kind of got to do that in the sports world too. Like I have a playoff game against the Cowboys and my head coach just, just got fired. Where am I going to place all of my emotion into? You got to go Packers because you can't do anything about Jed Fish. You can't do anything about the Packers either. But you're, you say to yourself, let me deal with Jed Fish in a couple hours. Right now, I'm locked and loaded in a do or die game. But yeah, not great for Arizona. You know who was good for though? Auburn, Taylor. Hey. Auburn, Auburn has had a nice week. They're shooting up the rankings. They're beating the hell out of teams. And Nick Saban retired. And so that is my cheesy way of segueing into our interview with Mike Burgomaster, best friend of the program. It was a blast. I know, Taylor, you, you weren't able to join, but and I, I know how much you love Burgo. And he's just oh, yeah. such a gregarious, good dude. It was a blast. He takes us through his promotion, which I want to make sure folks understand is a huge Huge mm -hmm. deal from director of ops to assistant coach. It's not just a name change. We talk about the roles and responsibilities, but man, Auburn's on a heater. Taylor, have you seen their last few results? Mm -hmm. Like dating back to the last time they lost to app state, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, but they're just beating the smoke out of teams, man. They're rolling right now. Well, and they've shot up to what, where are they at? 13 in the rankings, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, right. Yes, yes. And kind of like out of, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but they've been kind of the, the quietest team in the country over the last couple, you know, weeks for sure. Like you've been referencing. And now they're, you're like, Oh, wait a second. This team like a top three seed in the tournament coming up here. Are they going to compete for the sec title? Um, you know, a couple, yeah. Like you said, a month ago, pre Christmas, we'd have been like, yeah, Auburn, they're playing, eh, you know, they're, they're playing fine this year. You know, they've shown some, some signs, but now it's like, yo, they're, yeah, low key one of the hotter teams in the country, and you know, it's we're we're on the cusp. We're three weeks from football ending, which is when college basketball nationally, you know, college basketball for us never stops, but college basketball nationally starts in about three weeks. So it couldn't be a better time to be as hot as Auburn is than they are right now. Well, a, a week ago I said, tough to find a hotter team than Wake Forest. Then they lost. Georgia was sitting right there in the SEC. They just lost to the Vols. Oh, Auburn, and they, and they, oh, it was right. They should have won. I know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, everyone lost in the top 10, even ten, I mean, Tennessee, they came off of a loss against Mississippi state, but it was right there. I'm still impressed with Georgia. I don't know if necessarily they're still going to make the NCAA tournament, but I'm telling you like Georgia, South Carolina, Ole Miss, we're only like eight to nine wins away from punching their ticket. And there's tons of opportunities in the sec, which is very difficult, but this is about Auburn. This is about Mike Burgomaster. We had a wonderful conversation that I don't want to delay any longer. So without further ado, welcoming back our best friend of the program. This is a one-way street, probably. He probably is just like, eh, stop calling me best friend. But Burgo Yank got a choice. Assistant coach at Auburn University, Mike Burgomaster. All right, we are so pumped to welcome back to Theater and College Hoops assistant coach for the 13th ranked Auburn Tigers and most notably, most importantly, best friend of the program, Mike Burgomaster back on the program. What's going on, Burgo? 
nothing much nothing much excited to be back you know the the, the podcast is doing big things um you know it's been been awesome to follow along and you know hear all the different cool guests that you guys have had on and um you know things things are good just in the you know in the early parts of conference play which is going to be a grind and um you know we're 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 in the thick of it right now we're very fortunate burgo and you are actually the catalyst for the guests that we've had on i'm being 100 serious because i think you were the first guest that we had on that's patrolled a sideline and look at you now are you coming to be live from a new office that that you got recently same same office same office that, that, that i've had um no windows in here um not complaining obviously i love, love the fact that i have my own office but yeah no same same office the tv's behind my head for some reason you know i don't know you know i don't know who the engineer was that designed that but um you know yeah same office well the reason i asked that as well is because the last time we spoke with you in the first few times that you've been on the program your title was director of ops, right? Or at least assistant director of ops, director of ops. But now, Burgo, you're an assistant coach. And I, I want to make sure people understand how amazing that is. What a trajectory it's been for you in terms of the steps and the places that you stopped at. And I joke a little bit about the office because as you move up in the coaching ranks, that office is probably going to get a little bit bigger. And I have no doubt you're going to continue doing that. But Burgo, my first question, can you tell us about the transition? Uh from going from director of ops at Auburn and previous places to where you are right now as an assistant coach. Yeah, sure. Well, so, you know, I think one of the, one of the best things uh, that came from, you know, some of the rule changes in college basketball this off season um, was they allowed um, college basketball programs to, to have two more staff members that could be on court coaches. So historically, right. You have your head coach and then you've had three assistant coaches and those are the guys that are on the road recruiting, you know, can instruct on the floor, all that sort of stuff. Everybody else, you know, whether it was a director of ops or player development, everybody else has been considered support staff in the past, meaning you can coach the coaches essentially, right? Like you can't you can't have actual instruction or be in drills and that sort of stuff. So they, they changed that this summer. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be one of the two people um, that Coach Pearl selected from our support staff. Um, you know, to be an on the court coach. Um, and it, it's been awesome. I mean, I, you know, I, I do what I love every single day, which is, you know, coaching the game of basketball, still definitely um, have my hands in, in, in a bunch of the operations stuff, you know, just because we didn't add any new staff members, we just got more work, essentially, for the for our staff to have to figure it out. So um, yeah, and then and then really fortunate that, you know, Coach Pearl fought to, uh, to, to have our titles change to assistant coach, which, you know, for me, um, is, is, is a huge deal, um, you know, be 29 years old and be, you know, have a title of assistant coach in the SEC, you know, which is, in my opinion, the best conference in, in college basketball. Um, I, I, I still can't believe it, um, but I'm, I'm very fortunate to be, you know, doing what I, I love to do every day. Look, it is amazing. And you should feel very proud of yourself. We've been fortunate and lucky enough to have not only coaches and players, but when I focus in on the coaches and the support staff, the assistant coaches, director of ops, they're very young guys. In your conference, Ben Gonzalez over at Georgia, who I think is doing a great job, and Mike White has a great team over there. Uh, Ruben, Ruben Williams, he was over at Arkansas for a minute. He's now at Montana. It's really neat seeing guys in their mid to late 20s continue this trajectory of growth. Burgo, and I, I really appreciate you shedding light on some of that what transpired over the summer in terms of more opportunities for coaches. I think a lot of us 
understand or have to under understand some of the changes as it relates to the players. I didn't know that about the coaches. Do you know what was driving that uh, rule change or do, do you know any context behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been something that's been voted on the past three to four years and it's been turned down for whatever reason. Um, I think what really kind of pushed it over the edge was during COVID, um, there was a waiver that was passed that allowed support staff to sort of act like, you know, managers and, 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 you know, because prior to that, like, you're not even allowed to like rebound, you know what I'm saying? If you're a support staff, right. It's, it's, it's silly. Like you have to, you have to stand outside the court, can't touch a ball on the player. It's, it's a very bizarre, you know, rule, but so they, they, they passed a waiver to allow support staff members to act as like managers and, and be in there and rebound and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and then I think because, you know, they never really repealed that waiver. Um, and I think people found that it was very beneficial to be able to, you know, because with all the recruiting that we have to do, sometimes during the summertime, there's just not enough bodies from a staff member that can that can be on the court and uh, like help with the player development and instruction and that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, um, whether whether it was, you know, the NABC, you know, council or, or who, I don't know exactly who came together, finally decided to just pass this, but they, they, they saw that it was good for, you know, the player development it was good for the players at the end of the day, which is what this is all about. Um, just so that they have, you know, more people to help them. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm serious. Like I had no idea you learn something new every day. You think you got a beat on the transfer sure. rule and things are changing constantly in college basketball and they're reported on, but I'm glad we had you on to, to tell me about this. Brigo, I'm curious to know now because large contingent of uh, our listeners, me included, we got these corporate jobs, right? And so when you move within the same company to a higher role, there's usually an application process or there's things you got to do in order to have your employer or your boss essentially tap you on the shoulder and say, yes, I want you to fulfill this role. Can you tell us what that process was like with you and Bruce Pearl? Like, why did Bruce Pearl choose you? And I am allowing you and encouraging you to kiss your own ass here. Why did you get this role? Well, um, you know, I think it goes back to um, and something something that coach says all the time is, is you know, anytime you have an opportunity to be a part of a basketball staff, um, you want to be as valuable as you possibly can. Um, and that goes not just from the basketball side of thing, but but like, you know, simple, something as simple as when I was a graduate assistant, right? It's like, you know, trying to be the first person in and the, and the last person to leave, you know, trying to make sure that if I wasn't there that day, right, things just weren't going to run properly because I had my hand in so many different things, whether it was on the court, off the court, operations, you know, making sure the guys are at class and just just trying to be as valuable as I possibly can and do as much as possible. You know, I went from being a grad graduate assistant to um, getting an opportunity to be on the full-time staff, and I've kind of just used that same mindset. It all came from something that Coach Pearl said is like, you just want to try to be as valuable as you possibly can in your role. Like, all right, who, you know, who's making sure the bus is here on time? Oh, well, you know, Burgo's doing that. Or, you know, who uh, prints the scouting report? Oh, Burgo's doing that. You know what I'm saying? And just making sure that you're responsible and 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 doing things well um, in as many different areas as you possibly can. And so, like I said, went from being a graduate assistant to being a full-time staff, use that same mindset, and have, have just tried to, um, you know, keep learning and studying and, and, and staying on the cutting edge of, you know, what's going on in the game of basketball and just try to, I've just tried to be as valuable as I possibly can. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm very appreciative of coach Pearl. Cause I think he's, he's recognized that in some areas and, um, 
you know, he is, uh, he's, he's amazing in the sense that he really does believe in promoting from within. Um, you know, the, the, I think that's not necessarily typical all around the country. And, and, you know, everybody has, you know, not saying that one's right and one's wrong, but um, I think he really believes in rewarding the people that have paid their dues and, and been around for, you know, some success um, to, to help them grow in their careers. And, and I'm fortunate that, you know, he's had that mindset with me. I'm glad you mentioned the success part, Virgo, because for those that don't know, you were at Miami as well prior to Auburn and the Miami, we know it as today, that was a culture that you helped build, you contributed to. There's no denying that there's a correlation between you on the bench and uh, successful teams. You've been to a final four, obviously with Auburn, you're rolling right now. And so the value you bring and the uh, the work that you bring is, is, is undeniable. So Burgo, I'm going to Go back to a, a little bit, rewind to what you said about how you still have your hands in some of the operational pots, okay? It, it does sound as if you are a team player in the sense that you're not going to be like, hey, I got this assistant coach tag now. Whatever I was doing comes to a full screeching halt. Sounds like you're still doing some of that. But I am curious to know, how has your day-to-day -day and your role changed, Mike? Because... Like, what are some what are some additional responsibilities that you have to do now that you didn't have to do previously? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, it's 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 being on the floor with the players, which is, you know, when I go back to when I was a, a student manager at the University of Miami, that's what made me love this job to, to begin with is just getting to spend the one on one time, you know, with players rebounding, you know, getting to know each other, working hard together. Um, so. I'd say, you know, the biggest, the biggest change, um, or, or, or there's two massive changes. One thing would be being on the floor throughout the day, whether it's, you know, someone just want to shoot free throws and just being down there and, and, and rebounding for them, or, or, you know, whether it's working with some of the posts and, and, you know, their one, their one-on-one -on -one development. Um, and then being able to be on the floor during practice is, you know, you, you, ha you have to prepare, like, you know, Coach Pearl, Coach Pearl's practice plan, um, you know, you, you kind of find out about it at the last second. And so you got to kind of be prepared to just be, like run in and, and run a drill um, that you may not know that you were resp responsible for running until, you know, five minutes before practice. But, you know, you just kind of have to have that sort of stuff prepared. Um, and whether it's working with the scout teams and, and, you know, spending more time on the X's and O's, whether it's player development or, or, you know, the X's and O's of a scout that, I mean, that's, it's, and it's all on top of all the stuff that was my full-time job before, which is, you know, all the operational stuff and, and, and the, the academic stuff and the compliance stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just more, but it, um, it's the stuff that you work towards and want to do. So no complaints here. You talk about cutting your teeth. The SEC is such a wheelhouse right now. What a bus out. You mentioned, you think it's the best conference in America. And it, it arguably, it has an argument. You're absolutely right, Burgo. I mean, for, for those that don't know, I know you know, uh, but the SEC standings right now are just absolutely insane. I mean, aren't they? Like you look at the bottom of the SEC right now with Mizzou and Vandy, and Vandy's 5-11, and 11, but Mizzou's 8-8. Eight and eight. Outside of that, every other team is above 500. You got Texas A&M, who's... Uh, third from a third or fourth from last, they just beat Kentucky. You got South Carolina, Georgia, who I don't think many folks tabbed would have a successful season. Yet here they are. It is top to like. There's no easy games, Virgo. I was talking about the SEC last week. Is this the toughest you've seen this conference in your time there? 
Yeah, I mean, I I, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I I think of you know going back to SEC media day. I want to I want to say it was Mike White, Coach Mike White from Georgia, that talked about the fact that you know in the in the media poll. Georgia was picked 11th, I want to say, but to start the year, they were 52nd in Ken Palm. So it's like, you know, you're talking about the 11th team um, is preseason 52nd in, in, in Ken Palm. Like that's going to make for a tough night every single night. I mean, I think, you know, I feel like, I feel like we, it, it does get said every year that, you know, the SEC, it's the toughest the league's been, but I mean, the, you know, the quality of coaches and just, you know, the quality of talent and the resources that the, that the SEC has, um, it just makes it for you're going to have a tough night every single night, whether it's you're playing the number one team in the conference or the 14th team in the conference. The coaches are good. The players are good. You know, the, you know, this part of the country is, is, is generally really athletic, you know, so things are going to be hard to run and hard to stop. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's, 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 it's not easy, but it makes being successful in it that much sweeter if we can continue to, you know, win the games we have a chance to win. And these are real tests for you too, right? I mean, right now I'm looking at it. I'm going to keep gassing you guys up. You're beating the hell out of teams. But as you continue to go forward in conference play, these are real tests night in and night out. Do you feel that this year, more so than other years, this is going to prepare you for a tournament run or getting to the tournament at least, or maybe even the, just the SEC tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think I think every year prepares you for – those runs, you know what I'm saying? I, I, you know, honestly, for me, I think the, the, the runs in the NCAA tournament just come down at the end of the day to a little bit of luck and, and, and matchups, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, since I've been here, the coaching and the, the quality of play has been so good that you're, you're prepared to see, you've seen just about everything in the course of your regular season um, that, you know, there's not going to be anything too, too unique by the time you get to the tournament. So I mentioned you've been on a Final Four team. Let's pivot now to this year's team. Compare and contrast. Give me some similarities, some differences that you may have seen between this current team, which is still evolving. We're only here in January, as opposed to that Final Four team. Do, do you see any similarities or and 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 other differences? I mean, I think I think the 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 number one similarity that I see is the depth. Um, you know, I think I think our depth is our greatest strength this year. The fact that we can play 10, 11 guys, um, you know, and and not really drop off. Uh, I think that's been a major factor in our success. And, and you know, well, it's not just been one guy every night. It's been the collective of guys. And, you know, if somebody has a down night, somebody else is having, their, you know, one of their best nights. And we just kind of feed off of that. And And the guys are so appreciative of each other that, you know, they're they're all their biggest cheerleaders, you know. Whether it's you know whoever starts at point guard and backs up at point guard, they're cheering their heads off for the other person on the bench when they're not in the game. And I, I mean, I think that is very similar to what you know the final four. We played eleven guys, you know, in that run to to Minneapolis. Um, we were playing three centers, um, and then we were too deep at every other position. Um, and so, I, you know, I'd say that is the biggest similarity that I've seen. Now, you know. Well, that team was an elite three-point shooting team um, and an elite shot blocking and and uh, forcing turnover team, the Final Four team. I think this team's strengths are a little bit different in the sense that this is the best, um, you know, assist assist rate team that we've had since you know Coach Pearl's been in Auburn. The other thing that you know, it's not necessarily a a you know, we're not like a top ten national, but this is the best defensive rebounding rate team that we've had since we've been at since coach pearl's been at auburn so i think 
while those two stats aren't as flashy as you know the final four teams three balls and turn people over and blocking shots um this team definitely has some significant strengths that are different than that team assists and defensive rebounding is what you mentioned what's the catalyst for that what what do you think the reasoning is for that and it can be a multitude of reasons but if you were to identify why you think you're sitting here in mid-January excelling in those two categories, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think I I would give a lot of credit to to the guys first and foremost for buying in, but I think I think Coach Pro really pushed the right buttons in the offseason. You know, I think we recognized what some of we what we thought some of our weaknesses might be, and I think we worked really hard at those early. You know, and. And we always say as coaches, like what you work on is what you become really good at. Um, and we really worked on sharing the ball this this offseason and really worked on, you know, hockey assists, all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, we as as basic of a drill as it is, like we did perimeter, you know, like circle checkouts is what we call them um, just about every day. And, you know, in, in the offseason, you only get four hours of basketball a week. And so to, to spend 15 minutes each day. So let's say an hour of those four hours on defensive rebounding, I, I think is one of the reasons why at this point now there's still a long year to go. And the SEC is, I want to say the number one offensive rebounding conference in the country. But at this point, that's part of the reason why we've, we've had some success as I think we, we, you know, spent time and focused on it and recognized it early. The groundwork was laid is essentially what you were saying. And it was laid early. I think that's also very important, right? Groundwork wasn't necessarily laid in like September or or August, right? You're going all the way back probably to June, July as well. So Absolutely. I think that's very interesting there, Burgo. Hey, do me a favor. Don't blush. Uh, you can if you want, but don't blush because what I'm going to do now is read off some of the results of your last few games because they are straight up beatdowns. All right. I'm going to go back to Indiana where you beat them 104-76. This is essentially all the results after your last loss, which was App State. UNC Asheville, you beat 87-62. USC, you beat 91-75. to Alabama State, 82-62. Chattanooga, 101-66. UPenn, I've been banging on the Ivy League drum, man. I love the Ivy League. 88-68, Auburn winners. Arkansas, as we enter conference play, 83-51. Tamu, who just beat Kentucky 66 to 55, and you just come off of a great win against LSU 93 to 78. These are staggering results, Burgo. Okay, as a neutral party, my question to you is how do you avoid becoming complacent after seeing those results? Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, I think one of one of coach pearl's great quotes and it's very true about our style play is is what we do does not work without effort and energy um and so we have to find a way whether we're home in front of the best you know home court advantage in the country or on the road where it's r12 against you know 15 to 20,000 right like we got to find a way to bring that effort and energy every single night and and we talk about it all the time um you know you know the fact that all of these ranked teams lose last week. We, we talk about that and like, you know, talk about why, why we think they might have, what were they excited to play an unranked team, you know? Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think because of our, once again, our depth and because guys aren't necessarily playing 28, 30, 32, 35 minutes each night, I think that helps avoid the complacency too, because, they're fresh enough to play really hard in the 20 minutes that they play on average. And that's their opportunity. So, you know, 
they they want to take advantage of it. Um, and so I go back to the depth, you know, and that's why I talked about being the greatest strength of this team is I think it does a lot more than just allows us to, you know, win the bench scoring margin. I, I think it does a lot psychologically for our team as well. It definitely does. And so I, I'm let me make sure I gathered this properly. All right. What we do doesn't work without effort and energy. What you work on, you become good at. Are there any other quotes that I'm missing? Does does Bruce plan on putting out like a quote book that I can buy on Amazon or anything? Um, no quote books, but you know, when you when you work for somebody for eight years, you tend to kind of pick up one or two things. And so, um, you know, he's in my opinion, he's a Hall of Fame coach, and he's one of the best coaches in the country, if not the best coach in the country. Um, and so, you know, if I can try to take anything from him and and you know, pay attention to what he's saying. You know, I think I think it it tends to have some success and, and some truth to it. Does that ever bleed into your personal life there, Burgo? I don't know if you're folding the clothes improperly or if you're cooking a meal or something. You're like, you know, this meal is going to be as good if I don't give it all the effort and energy I have. Does that ever bleed into your personal life? I wouldn't say quite like that. I wouldn't say quite like that. But, you know, you got to You got to You got to practice what you preach, you know. So uh, maybe maybe I need to a little bit more. Let's take it all the way back now to game number one. You only have two losses on the year. I highlighted App State. The other one was to Baylor, who is another tremendous team, a recent national champion, and is slowly but surely and quietly, in my eyes, rising up the ranks from another tremendous conference. I think when I said arguably the SEC is the best conference, the other guy in the Big 12, they might have something to say about that as well. Uh, Take us back to that night one. What did you take from that Baylor game in the moment and now moving forward and and just talk a little bit about as we sit here in mid-January, how much your team has grown from night one? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, my my original takeaway, you know, because you only you up to that point, we've only played a uh, a closed door scrimmage. Right. Which you get a feel for your team, but it's not obviously the real thing because there's no crowd and then you play an exhibition you know we played an exhibition against um division two from in the state and the the guys kind of get the the jitters of the crowd out of their system a little bit but but at the end of the day it's not like you're playing you know you're not playing baylor you're you know it's um not quite that level although auburn montgomery you know was, was, was a very good test for us um so you know going into that first game while you're playing Baylor, that is a, you know, it's a marquee matchup. You know, I think we were the the only game really on ESPN that night, that Tuesday night, because it was election night. And um, it honestly, there honestly wasn't as much pressure in it because you're still trying to learn so much about your team um, and, and you know, you know kind of guarantee that it's going to be a quad one game. So, you know, if you win, it's great. If you lose, it doesn't really hurt you. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, I, I went into that game, you know, thinking we had a had had a pretty good chance. Um, and from my perspective, I thought we played really well for for thirty minutes, thirty two minutes, um, you know. And then, but I I also think we learned a lot about what could beat us. Um, and you know, we fouled way too much in that game. Um, and while we like to play an aggressive style defense, um, you know, I think we were able to really point out some areas where there were some, in, in my opinion, some, some not super productive fouls and how, you know, we're going to fa- look, we're, we're going to foul enough throughout the course of the game. That's just how, that's just how we play. So we don't sort of need these fouls that don't serve a purpose, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, at the same time, you know, 
what a you know what a um first game for you know Aiden Holloway in that game. Janai Broom played really, really well. Um Denver Jones, you know, who was making a leap from conference USA up to you know high high major basketball. Um I think it gave our guys confidence in a lot of ways. Not you know, not that they're not a confident bunch anyways, but I think it gave our whole program confidence that you know we we belonged in a game like that. Would we have loved the opportunity to you know go our way? Sure. But I think I think it it, it, I think it got people talking about us a little bit when we, you know, didn't have a lot of preseason hype. And um, I think it made us learn a lot about ourselves. I want to unpack that answer chronologically based on the responses you gave me here, Burgo. So first and foremost, you mentioned about that exhibition game that you did play. Do you as a coach feel or would you like to see or have the opportunity? Let me rephrase that. Would you like to have the opportunity to schedule more preseason games leading up to the season. I'm not saying you'd schedule the cream of the crop or maybe you would, I don't know, but would you like to have more of a, a preseason opportunity to get the Kings out before night one or, or no? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know, you know, I already think 31 regular season games. I mean, it's, it, it is, a, it is a grind. Um, so I don't know that you necessarily want to play too many more, but I will say, you know, I do believe they're talking about potentially changing some of the charity exhibition rules to where you can have exhibitions against division ones. I mean, I think, I think the charity exhibitions that happen all over the country are awesome. We, we would have loved to have tried to be in one. We, you know, we'd kind of already scheduled what we had, you know, before that. But um, if, the, you know, I just think about like Purdue and Arkansas and that's a preseason game and the environment there was awesome, you know? And so it, being in opportunities like that, like, you know, B Baylor really prepared us for the rest of the year, you know, whether, you know, would we have liked to have the W on our schedule for sure. But I think, you know, we lost the battle and, and won the war from the growth in, in that standpoint. And so if we could get those opportunities that don't go against you, uh, that, that'd be great, but maybe, maybe one or two more, but I don't think, I don't think you got to go crazy. Cause like I said, 31 games plus postseason is, is a grind. I also really want to commend Coach Pearl, the coaching staff, and also Coach Scott Drew, because, Burgo, I'm going to be honest with you. Again, you're in the coach's seat. I'm in a fan seat. The first week or two of college basketball does not have many marquee matchups, all right? But when you get a Baylor and Auburn as the first game for their respective seasons, it's awesome because, again, we see these we see these high-powered D1 teams going up against straight-up inferior competition. It's nice. It's refreshing. And I'm thankful for the coaches like Pearl and Scott Drew that are like, you know what? Let's schedule this super early uh, and get together. Like, were you part of that scheduling conversation at all? Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, one of my roles on the staff is, is our schedule. Um, and so I work with, I work with coach Pearl on that, but uh, you know, I think, uh, Garth Glissman is the new associate commissioner for SEC basketball in the conference. Um, you know, new this summer. This game had been scheduled before that, but he's he he really recognizes a need for more high quality, you know, matchups within the first week, the like more marquee matchups in that first week. Um, and Coach Pearl's like Coach Pearl will play anybody anywhere anytime. I mean, we we went to Appalachian State, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know we I, I was a part of that and like i said i think we'd love to try to do more of that you know it's it's not always easy getting these high quality non-conference games just because of availability and you know some of these conferences or 20 league games or 20 some are going to go to 22 in the in, in the future but i think i think 
you know, like I said, there's still a long way to go, but I do think the benefits from playing that game way outweighed the loss. Um, and so it's something that we, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to pull it off every year, but when we get the opportunity, we're not, we're not going to, you know, run from it. Man, the, the onus isn't on use only. It's not only your responsibility, Auburn. Right. It's it's everyone else's responsibility to step up to the plate. But Burgo, that's really cool that you got to have uh, an influence and a say in the decision-making process as it relates to scheduling because in college athletics, that is important. Like, it's fun, obviously. But when you get to late February and March, people do look at how well you scheduled and then, of course, the results. But... What was that experience like for you? And 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 take us in the into the nitty gritty, Burgo. When you're like, I want to play these guys at this venue or whatever it is. Like, do you just pick up the phone, call the coach, and be like, Hey, you want to do this? What is it? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's, so some of it's like that. You know, a lot of times where you see these neutral site games, um, you know, and we happen to play in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which we got a lot of pushback for. But you know, that venue has been awesome for college basketball. Um, you know, Baylor and Gonzaga had played there in a similar matchup the year prior. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of the, the backstory on how we got to that point was we were, we were originally, we were working with a, uh, a third party company that, you know, organizes some of these games and promotes some of these games and, and handles the event management of these games. And we were working with that company on, um, you know, a two year opening night, you know, sort of, rotating with four teams and, and and for whatever reason could never really get a fourth team to to be a part of it um baylor happened to be another team that was in that conversation i won't i won't say the you know the other team that was in there but it, it kind of fell apart and so we were still looking you know because in 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 trying to schedule you know you're trying to schedule a certain amount of quality games you know for your net for your resume all that sort of stuff we, we were missing you know one that that slot that we had planned on having and so you actually using the company that was supposed to put on the original event they they had had some connections it's it's the same company that runs battle for atlantis um and so when COVID happened they played battle for atlantis in sioux falls so they had a really good relationship with that the, that building essentially um or whoever runs it not the building itself but um and so they were able to kind of, th it, it, it wasn't super last minute, but they were able to kind of throw it together, you know, late in the process. Um, and, and, and Baylor was looking for the same thing that we were. And so we, we were, we were in. I spoke with Rocco Miller in the off season and he, he took me behind the curtains of scheduling and things like that. So that's really interesting. I think that's really cool that you're able to do that now uh, as, as an assistant coach. And that's part of your uh, role and responsibility as well. Um, Brigo, I want to talk a little bit also about Denver Jones, who you mentioned. What I'm seeing, there's kind of like this evolution of transfers, right? So when we grew up watching college basketball, if you transferred, the reality of the situation is a lot of people were like, whoa, that's big time news. And I think some people even saw it as a red flag in the sense that can he not hack it or cut it for this particular coach? Are there academic issues? We've grown to the point now where we've seen transfers right in our adulthood, but the impact transfers that we've that we used to see, I'm talking maybe like when we were in our early 20s, are folks coming from power programs to another power program. And it's like this guy came over from the SEC into the Big 12. This guy came from the ACC over to the Pac 12, yada, yada. But you mentioned Denver Jones. 
And there's another dude in your conference, Dalton Connect. And there's tons of players over the throughout the country that have made the jump, not only transferring, but transferring from mid-major conferences to the big dogs, and they are excelling. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how that has maybe changed your view or your approach in terms of getting transfers? Uh, because it seems as if it's not just coaching staffs looking for good players and other good teams or pro or conferences. The, the, the whole table is open. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think that's one of the super positive things about, you know, the transfer portal. And now, you know, now that the rules change where people can transfer as many times as they want is it takes, a, it takes a person like Denver Jones, who probably was under recruited out of high school, you know, did a year of prep, uh, did a year of Juco, you know, and, and really worked to develop his game, develop his body and become, you know, a 20 point per game scorer in conference USA, which, you know, last year was a, obviously a terrific conference, you know, FAU, North Texas, everybody in that, in that conference. Right. Um, and, and so he put himself in position through hard work and perseverance and, you know, he's from the state of Alabama originally. And so, you know, an opportunity to go play at one of the big state schools, you know, that that's awesome. You know, same thing with like Chaney Johnson, who's, who's on our team. He's our reserve foreman. You know, he was, six two six one out of high school he's now six seven and 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 grew you know six inches in his first two years of college at university of alabama huntsville which is a division two school and we knew about Channing because we played against him in an exhibition last year and went so he went in the transfer portal we knew you know he, he was good enough you know and we'd seen him in person and then also a guy like chad baker mazara on our team who you know started at duquesne had a lot of success at San Diego State, which you know you you consider not necessarily mid major, but but obviously as you know they, they went to the Final Four, um, you know did a year to JUCO and now is at SEC level basketball, and so I think that's you know it's 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 a super positive thing um, you know for the game um, you know is 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 some of these transfer ups if you want to call it that, um, and so. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun in the offseason trying to find some of these maybe under recruited guys that aren't just you know, aren't like you said aren't these marquee transfers that are coming from other high majors, um, and and you know seeing how they you know watching their tape and seeing how they fit in your system. It's it's I look forward to it every offseason. Now it's a grind, you know, like like everything that we do in this business is because you, you're about you're trying to evaluate a lot of people, you know, in a short period of time and visits and everything happens really quickly. Like we always joke that the transfer portal. Like one day in the transfer portal is like two weeks in like a high school recruitment. It's just it, like stuff happens so fast. Um, but like you said, like it's it, it definitely um, it's definitely a change that, you know, in my opinion, um, from those examples is, is, is positive. No, it's so much fun. I, I do love seeing these names that folks probably weren't familiar with. I mean, you and I are probably familiar with them because we're in the weeds. I'm not in the weeds as much as you, but I, I, I got a good understanding of what's going on in some of the mid-major conferences. And it's like, like a guy like Zion Pullen. I don't think anyone knew about Zion Pullen over on the West Coast, right? Now he's he's gotten his shot at Florida and he's excelling. I mentioned Dalton Connect. There's there's a bunch of others that that have been a, a lot of fun to see. Uh, and I, I actually saw a Twitter exchange, Virgo, from Frank Martin replying to a fan because uh, Devin Carter is having an amazing year close to home for both of us up in Providence, right? Mm -hmm. He could be Big East Player of the Year uh, over at Providence, but he got his start at South Carolina, and some fan was like, you know, 
how did these big big name schools miss out on Devin Carter? You know, how did he only land at, at South Carolina? And when I talk about the competitive balance, it's like you know, all these schools, even in your conference, all these schools want these players. And it, obviously, Devin Carter came out of high school, transferred out to the Big East, and that's uh, high major to high major. But it just goes to show you that the competitiveness of getting your paws on these players at an all-time high. No, no doubt, and that's I mean, that's what <laughs> hearing some of the stories of of how much these kids in the transfer portal are, are called the, the the day that they go in. I mean, like Denver, Denver's like I had to shut my phone off after two. Like I, I just you just can't handle all of that incoming, you know, recruitment at a certain point. So that's why it's, that's why it's important to be, you know, and we have a whole process for monitoring and, and getting on guys quickly. And, um, but you gotta be quick because at the end of the day, there's, there's so much demand for some of the, for these transfers that they, they can get tired of the recruitment pretty quickly. I believe it. I believe it. Hey, so let's get back to this year's team, Burgo, your offense is humming. Okay. So you mentioned the defensive rebounding. That's great. The assists, which contribute to such a, a, a pro, prolific offense. Uh, I want to get into the the sexy aspect of this Auburn team. And again, that's the offense. I think you guys are averaging like 84 points this year. You're sharing the wealth. You're fast. It's a lot of fun to watch. Was that also a key part of the offseason regimen for, for Bruce Pearl? I mean, what are you contributing this offensive surge to? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I I, th I think it has a lot to do with our personnel. Um, you know, I think I think the way that we like to play offensively, this group is really suited for. Um, you know, and 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 I think part of that too is it starts with the defense too. I mean, you know, which um, we we've been doing such a good job of, like I said, limiting teams to one shot so that we can get out and run. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to play fast and 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 score, get out and run and transition. Um, you know, and so the combination of uh, rebounding and 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 turning people over to be able to get out and run and play free. Um, that's you know that's what we what we like to do here. Um, and then you know like we said with the passing and everything, it's just there's there's not there's everybody's very unselfish. Um, you know everyone wants to see everybody else succeed. Nobody's necessarily worried about their individual numbers. And so you know it, it, that makes for in my opinion that makes for a really beautiful style of basketball. And so um, you know you've seen that in our offense throughout this year. What I try and identify, Burgo, is kind of this dichotomy, right, of a team over the course of six to seven years where they have values and principles that carry over year to year to year, but they also adapt and maybe change style of play uh, based on personnel, which you, you mentioned a little bit. Is there, I don't know, like visualize this with me. You've been in, in Auburn's camp for a while now. Is there, can you, can you mention something that has, carried over year to year to year that was there before you got there and will be there long after you got there, just a, uh, an ideology or, uh, you know, just, just a mantra. Is there something that's been consistent and will always be consistent? And then are there items that change year to year? Do you see kind of what I'm, I'm driving at here? Sure. Sure. I mean, um, not necessarily like, like, not necessarily a mantra, but I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I went to style play when you were asking that question. And so one thing that's going to happen on Coach Pearl's team every single year is we're going to press, right? We're, we're, we're going to press. We may press a little differently from year to year just because personnel-wise, you know, we may put certain guys in certain spots, but we're going to press and guard 94 feet. Um, and, and when we say we say press like, you know, you'll see the traditional full court presses, but we, we like to consider that we're pressing in the half court as well. 
Um, and that's something that he's done his entire career. Um, so that, that'll never change. Now, there may be certain strategical tweaks based on people's ability to do certain things, but that's, that's always going to happen. Um, from the offensive side of the ball, um, you know, there's always going to be some flex in the mix. Um, you know, you know, coach, coach Pearl worked for, um, uh, Tom Davis, you know, long, that's, that's his mentor. Um, you know, he was, he, he ran the flex for forever. Um, and so, you know, while, while we have incorporated some more, you know, five out, um, you know, similar to what they're doing in the NBA and, and over in Europe, um, we're always, you're always going to see us flex cut at least five to six times a game. And that's, that's something that's never going to change. I love that. I'll, I'll be looking for that years from now when, when, when you guys are still running some of the same, uh, concepts there. All right. Let's talk a little now personnel. All right. Individual, uh, performances and, and what you've seen in some of these players. I'm going to start with Aiden Holloway. Okay. You mentioned him in the Baylor game. It was a bit of a coming out party for him. He was tremendous and he's been tremendous, but in your eyes, Burgo, where have you seen the growth with a young Aiden Holloway from that night all the way up here? Uh, until mid-January. So where have you seen the growth there? And then what's next for him this season? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Aiden Aiden has been a really good fit in our system with the way that he just he just plays with such great pace. Um, you know, not not one to ever want to walk the ball up the floor, um, you know, and 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 throws it ahead all the time to those twos and threes on our in our system, you know, running the break. Um, you know, he's such a threat from three and from deep that he just kind of opens the floor up for everybody else because you have to guard him. Um, you know, and I think the one thing that, you know, Aiden would say about himself and if, you know, if you, if you watched Aiden in high school is he's always been considered better offensively than defensively. Um, and the thing that's most impressed me about Aiden, um, is, you know, while he'll still make some mistakes here and there, he's working so hard on the defensive end, um, to, you know, be as smart as he possibly can be like, you know, his, his off ball positioning has been, um, you know, fantastic. You know, his, his, his one-on-one closeouts are much improved and, you know, the, he, he checks out nine out of 10 times, which, you know, uh, we would love it to be 10 out of 10 times, but it's something that, you know, he probably wasn't asked to do as much because of just his ability to score in, in high school and in AAU. Um, and he's really bought into that. So, um, you know, where, where he goes from here is just doing everything with a little bit more efficiency, you know, and, and, and just, you know, shooting at a higher clip, but every time he shoots it, I think it's going in. Um, and so, you know, and he, I mean, he's broken the, all the records and all of our shooting drills this whole summer. And so, um, you know, I think, uh, he, you know, it, there's going to be a point in the year, you know, cause I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's on a lull right now, but there's going to be a point on the year where he's going to be scorching hot and, and like that Baylor game, um, you know, uh, you got to watch out for that, man. That's good for me to know as if I didn't already know that, but when I'm picking my bracket, I do look for the teams with the guys that are like, can this guy catch fire and go for eight to 10 straight points in about a two minute span? Aiden Holloway seems to be uh, a guy that can do that. Not to say that he he's going to get out of the, uh, the, the motion of the offense, things of that nature, but there's some flame flamethrowers out there. And that's who I'm looking at you know, when I, I, I pick teams to to advance. So what about KD Johnson? Okay. The 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 heartbeat almost of of the Auburn Tigers. And I think personally I, I have a good feeling of what I can expect and what kind of ball player KD Johnson is on the court. What I want to get 
insight into Burgo that I'm hoping you can help me out with is how have you seen him mature as a leader off the court? What are some of the things that aren't showing up in the box score this year, game by game or over the past few years, take us behind the curtain to Katie Johnson's maturation process. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, part of the reason you see Katie up until this point having, you know, some of his best numbers of his career, not necessarily saying scoring highs or anything like that, but just how efficient he's been and how productive he's been. Um, I think he's just tried to set the tone from a defensive standpoint. Um, you know, I think coach all, all offseason challenged him to be one of the best defensive guards um, in the league. Um, and I think he's bought into that and, and, you know, you know, we practiced before this too, and you know, just it just comes to mind that he just makes everything hard to run for the you know our scout team and our opponents when he is engaged. And I, I think the I think the biggest part of his maturation is 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 more consistently engaged. And and you know what the factor is for that, I, I don't one hundred percent know. You know, I think you know I think he really has you know bought into this group i think he loves this locker room i think he's really close with everybody and so he's he's not just doing it for himself but he's doing it for them uh, and that i think that's part of the reason why you see you know his assist numbers are up and you know he's shooting a good you know he's he's, he's shooting a better percentage from two than he has ever before and it's because you know he he is is doing things for not just himself but for others and 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 like you said trying to be a leader by setting a defensive tone is there anyone more intense than him in the locker room? I can't imagine it. Maybe Coach Pearl, but uh, but but I don't know. It's 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 close. It's a coin flip. Between there's no other player that. that no, might... no, no, not a player. No, no, no. But may, maybe Coach Pearl has. They're they're close because you know Coach Coach does it for forty minutes. Katie does it for about twenty. So that's. <laughs> but I think you know. I don't know. It's close. <laughs> that's good. Chad Baker Mazzara, you mentioned him earlier in the episode. You're basically taking my notes here, Burgo. Well done. Uh, Coach Pearl was on the Rothstein podcast, and he had mentioned that Chad Baker Mazzara is essentially the X factor, right? Or the wild card is, I think, what Rothstein said, or maybe Coach Pearl said that. What makes him that X factor or wild card? Yeah, I mean, I think he just um... – he, he just gives us a different dimension. You know, I think that's another great thing about our depth is, you know, not all pieces are the same. Um, and so he just gives us a great scoring and playmaking dimension, you know, off the bench. Um, you know, we've never really, since I've been here, we've never really had like a big long wing like him, um, you know, and his his efficiency offensively is, is just like off the charts, um, you know, and – that's been such, uh, as much as anything, that's been another reason why like our, our team's offensive efficiency numbers, because it's good to have like a secondary ball handler that, you know, is, is not, is making the right play. I think he's, I know he did a few games ago, but I think he still might lead us in assist to turnover ratio. It was something crazy. It was like four to one. Um, and, um, you know, he, he just has incredible feel, you know, you know, I know his, his dad's a coach and, um, you know, I don't know exactly who he would credit that he learned the game from, but, you know, he, he just is constantly in the right spots, constantly makes, you know, what you'd call the right play, um, cuts when it's appropriate, you know, fades when it's appropriate, circles back when it's appropriate. You know, he just ha he just has great feel for, you know, for the game and things that you can't teach. And, um, you know, if he can keep that consistency up, um, that's that's why he's – I you know, I think X Factor, Wild Card, whatever term you want to say, like that's that's part of the reason – you know, that we've had some success. 
before we get you out of here on a couple fun questions, got Ole Miss coming up here soon. I'm, I, I know who's, who's next. You got, you got, uh, well, I built on Wednesday night. Vandy. Okay. And then Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss, I, like I, I was mentioning some of the surprises in the sec, like Georgia and South Carolina, et cetera. Back when they hired Chris Beard, I said, Chris Beard and Rick Pitino are the two coaches that are immediate impact guys. Like right away. I think they're going to have a winning program. They're ranked right now. They're on track to getting to the NCAA tournament. Uh, that old Miss game and that old Miss team. Uh, have you done any studying uh, of them at all uh, this season? Have you been able to catch anything from them? I've, I've watched them a few times. I wouldn't say like in-depth studying, like, you know, um, uh, Stephen Pearl and our staff will have that scout, so he's been more in depth. But I've I've watched them without you know great attention to detail. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, let's get you out of here, uh, Virgo. On a couple quick fun ones, uh, Nick Saban retired last week. Did you roll Tumor's Corner along with some of the uh, other students? I didn't roll to Tumor's Corner, but I but I uh, I appreciated that. And you know, if if. If I didn't have anything else going on, I would have been out there with them. I think uh, you know that it's significant enough to roll roll the trees for sure. <laughs> uh, and then, hey, you're acting chops, man. All right, so you've grown obviously as a coach, but man, you are a natural in front of the camera. There's you guys have these like spoof on this is Sports Center, right? You guys, dude, this is Auburn. I saw one where basically the student section is following Coach Pearl everywhere. You're killing it, Virgo. Tell us a little bit about literally take us behind the scenes of some of these commercials and and how you're cast and how comfortable you are in front of the camera. Yeah. Um, so uh so Stephen Leonard, we hired Stephen Leonard um away from the University of Virginia um last summer. Um he's now our director of creative content. Um, you know, we have kind of seen everybody across college basketball kind of developing that, but not everybody, but uh, you know, people were starting to develop that position on their staffs as a way, you know, because there's so much graphic demand and photo shoots and um, you know, social media presence required for these college basketball programs. You know, if you want to stay relevant amongst um, these high schoolers and these transfers and, and, and just kind of stay relevant, you know, nationally. Um, and so Steven Leonard, he is very funny. He is very creative. Um, you know, he's the brains behind, you know, all, all of the scripts and the way they're shot and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm just, I'm just excited whenever I'm asked to be in one, um, you know, I was in a musical in the fifth grade in, in, in Westford. Um, so I, I attribute, you know, I, I forget the name of the company that put that musical on, but I give them all of the props for my acting prowess. Um, and then, what yeah. Was the and then I what was the play? I was in, <laughs> I was in Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> in fifth grade we don't have to go into those details but um but yeah and then you know uh so steven makes all the creative decisions and then i just complain every time i'm not in one so that's how i keep popping up i love it any any content creative i know it's it's up to steven but any suggestions that you may have had uh incorporating tumor's corner or, uh incorporating i don't know you got the student section what else like you guys ever thought about bringing a real life tiger in what do you think <laughs> I leave that all to him. I mean, he's, we literally hired him to be creative and that's what he does best. I'm more the boring, just like X's and O's strategy operations compliance guy. So not boring at all. Burgo, this has been amazing. Great catching up with you. Best of luck the rest of the season and congratulations again on this new role that you've been excelling in this season. Awesome work, man. Keep it up. Appreciate it, man. Always enjoy, you know, pop hopping on and, uh, 
I'm glad to see you guys are doing big things and having big guests, and and it's it's fun to follow along. So, you're the man, Burgo. Thank you. Okay, want to thank Burgo again. Always a blast. Always a treat. We talk personnel. We talk philosophy from Coach Pearl. We even talk about his acting chops. Uh, that that really got me. And we go back to his fifth grade acting days uh, playing in in the play Oliver. It was a lot of fun. Wishing him the best of luck. And congratulations again to Burgo on his promotion. He's killing it, which is not surprising whatsoever. But thank you again to Mike Burgo, Master TD, the three and O man, mm. the three and O man. Let's get into some Damel Dimes. You said last week prior to giving us your your picks, you said, you know what, I, I got a good feeling about this. Let's get right, get right. We did indeed because you took Michigan State plus three and a half against Illinois. Hit. You took Utah minus nine and a half against UCLA. That hit like 15 times over. Uh, I think UCLA lost by like 40, whatever it was. They're garbage. Don't care that they beat Washington. Uh, terrible loss for Mike Hopkins, who's another person we talked about. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, but that hit Utah minus nine and a half against UCLA. And then Washington minus seven and a half against ASU. UW got that victory in double digits. Can we continue this streak? I'm not asking for another three and zero, but maybe let's go two and one. No, just ask me for it, man. Just ask me. Just a reminder to the listeners out there: if you would have put twenty five dollars on that parlay, it would have returned you one hundred and seventy five dollars. So that, like, so like I've said many times before, I don't give a singular shit if I go have an overall record of like thirty three percent. If I hit three and zero like four times throughout the year, we're gonna end up up money. Okay, so that's my betting strategy. It's not the smartest betting strategy. I'm not going to sit here and act like, um, you know, like the whisper of how to bet by any means. But I am always a, I, I am a, I am a home run hitter as my betting style. And so I'm all about the, the, the three game parlay. You're basically like Chris Davis, right? Chris Davis from the Orioles who would just mash home runs, but strike out a lot too. That's okay. Or like foul tip. I'm not saying you strike out a lot no. because right now, Taylor, you have a nice record at 12, 12, and three. 12 hits, 12 misses, three pushes. Let's get above that 500, baby. Yeah. I'm feeling good. Yeah. So, well, let's get into it, man. Um, so, also, this last week was the, like, 15-year anniversary of the uh, of the Fuck You Gumby video, which is absurd that that's, like, 15 years old. Um, oh, yeah. my gosh. Dimitri James. <laughs> uh, instead of, instead of be feeling old from, like, players like sons of dads that we saw playing like mm -hmm. youtube videos is going to be the thing yeah yeah so let's get into a mind of a taylor damel here real quick <laughs> so we're going to start out east a team that we've talked about several times in the last few weeks we're going to continue to ride them and that's seton hall seton hall is a home underdog against st john's plus one i love that because it's plus one, I'm just going to go straight money line on this in my actual betting. But for the purposes of the show and the parlay, we're going to go plus one uh, against St. John's. Home underdog is obviously, you know, a, a bet that you look at from time to time to see how legitimate that is. Um, I don't particularly think that St. John's is significantly better than Seton Hall is, especially over the last few weeks. So I like Seton Hall being underdogs at home. We're going to then run out over here to the Midwest to the big 12. We're going to go with a little bit of an upset here. We're going to take Jerome Tang's boys at home. Again, a home underdog plus two and a half against the Baylor bears. Um, again, strategy on this is same as the last. 
I know that Baylor is a better program or better team right now than Kansas State, but I don't necessarily think that Baylor can go on the road to a Kansas State. Um, inclement weather this week too in Kansas. You know, cold as hell. So maybe that's a factor. Um, so we're going to take K State plus two point five against Baylor. Probably another one I might consider taking money line money line home underdog. Um, and then we're going to go out west where this is a full. We're, we're using the whole map on this one, if we may. Um, I was a little surprised at this line. And so maybe I'm missing something. I know we have some viewers that if I, or some listeners that if I get this wrong, they're going to be like, well, yeah, Taylor, did you not see this piece of news? And maybe I didn't, but Boise state, they're only a six, a five point favorite at home against a seven and seven UNLV team. And so, uh, I'm taking Boise state minus five on this one over UNLV Boise state is a better team than UNLV. I don't think there's really a lot of debate when it comes to that. So to only be five point favorites, uh, at, at a home or in a home game, uh, is really attractive to me. So that's Boise state by five over UNLV. That's Kansas state plus two and a half, uh, against Baylor. And then it's Seton hall by one or, yeah, excuse me, giving one, um, or receiving one, excuse me, Jesus receiving one against uh, St. John's very intriguing slate here. I do like the Western expansion and the, and the movement across the country there. Uh, did, first of all, did you do that on purpose? Did you start with the big East then the big 12 yes. then to the mountain West? Yes. All right. I mean, that's not how I, I set, that's not how I set my bets up in whole, but when I saw where <laughs> we were located here, you know, although I could maybe do that in the future, just try and align one in each time zone. So if we miss on the first, we can still, you know, go from there. So. Add a wrinkle there, Taylor, if you need, but I, it, very intriguing. Okay, so UNLV, they're weird, all right? They probably should have beat Utah State, mm -hmm. and that would mean that they should have wins over Utah State. They got a win over Creighton, and I think they smacked New Mexico. Keep me mm -hmm. honest there. But those were all at home. UNLV on the road to a Boise State team that last week beat Nevada, who was 15-1, and one, who also beat Colorado State. Inti, yeah. I'm on the Broncos as well, but UNLV, they have a penchant for taking down some giants. If they get hot from three, if the Boo brothers get hot from three, it's going to be closer than, than expected. Uh, Baylor, Kansas state, man, that is going to be interesting because Kansas state has been so clunky, disjointed, whatever you want to call it. Naquan Tomlin's gone. He's, oh, he's doing well at Memphis. Baylor's rounding into form. We actually talked about Baylor, obviously uh, with Burgo. He has mm. firsthand knowledge of them. That's going to be interesting. Kansas state plus two and a half. I would say that that's a bit of an upset pick. And then I like the Seton hall plus one, man. We're having fun. We're riding with, I, this might be my favorite game though, because I'm rooting for both sides. Love the Johnnies. <laughs> I mean, I love, this is, why, this is why you're not a betting man. Right. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. This is why I just record in the background and I don't really put myself out there, but how can you not love the Johnny's resurgence and, and Rick Pitino, the old guard? How can you not love Seton Hall and the young guard with Shaheen Holloway? It's beautiful stuff. I mean, you know, to wrap this up, as we've seen over the last week with what was it? 11 of the top 14 or 10 of the top 13, whatever that stat was there winning on the road in college basketball is not an easy task, no matter who, what, when, where, or why, you know, I mean, you look at all these teams. Um, I lost this last week, you know, Illinois poised to take over maybe like number two or three in the country loses at home to a really shifty type yeah. of Maryland team that hasn't done anything, you know, obviously like in Arizona went on the road and lost, which, you know, to a team that they should have beaten. That's, that's a whole nother story, but a couple of these teams lost at home 
and losing those home games, you know, I think I don't want to say you get a pass from the committee losing road games. It's not a pass. That's not the way to put it. But it's a 50 percent less significance if you lose on the road than at home, if not, if not more. Uh, you know, I think the committee would take that into account. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm going to ride with what the current trend in college basketball is here, and that's home teams, you know, playing well. Maybe that is a weather thing. Maybe that I mean, honestly, maybe it is a weather thing. It's been 20 below everywhere in the country. So if you had to travel, like it just <laughs> didn't work can out for travel? anybody. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Can you well, get Arizona? Arizona got stuck. Yeah. Speaking of, they got stuck overnight in, in Pullman, and Pullman had the nicest weather of anywhere in the country you know, compared yeah. to everywhere the East of there. So I think yeah. I heard on the broadcast of the bills Steelers game, Jim Nance and Tony Romo and Tracy Wilson couldn't leave their hotel. Like they got there, but they couldn't leave their hotel. And then Jim Nance launched into like some creepy shining reference with here's Tony. And I was very off put by that. And it was creepy, but uh, I, I digress, but uh, Taylor, I love that. And I love these picks. Let's keep the momentum rolling, baby. But Uncle Mo. yeah, we're going to get on out of here now. I uh, want to thank Mike Burgomaster one more time for jumping on. Always a blast. Best of luck to him and the Tigers. Taylor, next episode, can we revisit our preseason predictions? How does that you know, sound? You know, I've brought them up probably more so this year than any other year that we've uh, done this. So I would like to revisit um, some. We certainly, I think, already can stamp that, you know, this is going to happen. A few for sure. Questionable. Questionable. So that's what I want to get into. Four buckets, all right? One bucket is it's completely up in smoke. There is absolutely no redeeming this take. It is over. We got it 100% wrong. Next bucket, it's trending up, but we're not 100% there yet, all right? It's trending in a good direction, but I can't with 100% certainty say that this take was correct. The third bucket, trending down but I'm not giving up just yet. I'm still holding on to those Roman rings like Vince Vaughn in, uh, in old school. Still holding, but it's trending down. And then your last one that you had mentioned, I'm ready to peacock. I got it right. Doesn't matter what happens the rest of the season. It's going to be a fun episode, my man. Thank you as always for listening. Thanks again to Burgo one more time. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.